Welcome to Marty's Music Kitchen, the fun music and food podcast where anything can happen. We're cooking today with Dr. Larry Sherman, musical neuroscientist and professor at Oregon Health and Science University. He has over 80 publications and has made numerous television appearances discussing topics such as the science of pleasure and love, music and the brain, and he's been working on a project with the Portland Chamber Orchestra called Every Brain Needs Music. Learning an instrument has these amazing effects, physical effects on the brain, like generating new cells, mm -hmm. generating uh, more connections between cells, uh, and then generating more of this mild substance. Dr. Sherman is also an accomplished pianist and a huge foodie who loves to cook. We're gonna light up our synaptic pathways with cornbread, Cajun crab stuffed mushrooms, shrimp jambalaya, and the piece de resistance, bread pudding with bourbon cream sauce. Portland Monthly Magazine has recognized Dr. Sherman as one of the people who are changing our world, yet he still coaches girls fast pitch softball on weekends. Is there anything this charmingly intelligent scientist and family man can't do? Come with me into this fabulous kitchen and let's find out. So Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, well, or thanks for coming. Yeah, I know, we're in your beautiful kitchen. I love your house, by the way. It's, it's a hunting lodge. This is a hunting lodge? This was built in 1930. This, this whole area of town used to be where people came on the weekends to go hunting, and somebody built this as a lodge for people to just come together. And if you look outside, there's a gigantic fire, outdoor stone fireplace. They used to put like deer and elk in there. Oh, we are so, so going to take a picture of that yeah, for our cool. listeners. That's pretty cool. That is really neat. Yeah. And then did you remodel it when you when you moved in? Or no, was we, it... we just moved in two and a half years ago and um, it had foreclosed and a developer wanted to knock the whole thing down and thankfully we oh. we bought it and saved it. So. Oh, yeah. I, I love you even more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we cooking today? What's on the menu? Well, I really wanted to cook this today because um, this was uh, uh, this is near and dear to my heart. It's a dish that I make a lot and that I love to make. Um, the, the dessert. We're going to start with dessert, and uh -huh. I already since I've already prepared. So we can get it in the oven. The main course. We're going to get this Smart in the oven. Now. And but what is what is this? This is a, a a bread pudding with a bourbon cream sauce. Oh. But the recipe comes from uh, a New Orleans restaurant called Dookie Chase. Uh huh. Is that restaurant still? It's still there. It uh, it got destroyed during Katrina, uh -huh. but they actually all the different restaurants in New Orleans. Uh, uh, rebuilt it, helped them rebuild it. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to New Orleans actually in the fall. Well, you so... should you should definitely check this place out. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, sadly, the uh, the head cook and owner of the of the restaurant just died yesterday, which oh. is so this is very timely. And her name was Leia Chase. Uh -huh. She was in her 90s already. And um, this restaurant was owned by her father-in-law, who was the first Dookie Chase. Uh -huh. She married Dookie Chase Jr. And it used to be a sandwich shop. And when she kind of took it over, she decided to make it a upscale restaurant Aww. for the neighborhood, which was mostly African-American, well, all African-American really. But it was the first place in the state where people could come to register to vote as African-Americans. Uh -huh. It was also a place where the civil rights leaders, both white and black, could come and meet, which actually was illegal. I had no, um, wow. This there's is... all this incredible history. And then she just brought people together with her food. And I went there in the nineteen. 19... The thing about food. Exactly. In yeah. any age, in <laughs> exactly. any era, it brings people together. Well, so I I went there in the nineteen eighties, and uh, a friend of mine took me there, and it was you know, we walked inside, and the first thing you notice is, is there's all this art on the wall. She was really wanted a proponent of the arts uh -huh. and local artists and everything else, and that was just so cool. But then we had this meal, and it was oh, it was the best meal I'd ever had in my life, and the owner, uh, the and the waiter rather, comes out and says. Uh, um, how was your meal? And would you like some dessert? And I said, the meal was fantastic. What's yeah. the dessert? And he says, well, I, we recommend the bread pudding. And I said, bread pudding? What's that? I had never had it before. And I said, is that like dough with sugar and what? I mean, he goes, no, no, trust me. It's really good. And it was amazing. Huh. And so uh, at the end of the meal, I said, my compliments to the owner and the chef. This is the best meal I've ever had in my life. Uh, and he says, well, she's back in the kitchen. Do you want to meet her? And You're like, um, yes. I said, absolutely. And I did not cook that. This was, I was just starting graduate school. 
my cooking skills involved uh, taking ramen and putting it in boiling water. That was pretty oh, much it. Oh, really? Okay. That's a pretty technical. You know, well, I that's... also have that skill, <laughs> uh, but I don't use it anymore. So. Well, that's the thing. And I, I, I sometimes open the flavor pack successfully. You know, it was, it was not always though. But uh, yeah. So I go back there and, um, you know, at the time she must have been 60, in her late 60s, early 70s. She looked like she was, you know, 70, give or take 30 years old. It's an ageless person. Right. And uh, she gave me a tour of the kitchen and there's all these pictures of her presidents and and all these other things because of all the work she'd done in her life. Um, and then um, she turns to me and says, did you like the food? And I said, man, that was the best meal I've ever had in my life. And she says, well, uh, are you married? I said, no. She says, you have a girlfriend? I said, I, said, I, I do. She says, is she here? I said, no. She says, well, do you cook? I said, not really. I, I need to learn. She says, oh, you, do you want to learn? I said, absolutely. And she whips out that cookbook. And, uh, and the cookbook is called? It's the Dookie Chase Cookbook. The Dookie Chase Cookbook. That's D-O-O-K-Y. That's right. And uh, she uh, she handed it to me and then signed it. This one. This, this one, very one that, that you're holding, holding in your hands right now, oh. which you can see is well-loved. <laughs> this is a well-loved book, I'll tell you. And then she signed that. Oh, my gosh. It says, I'm going to read this. To Larry, enjoy life with good food. Grateful to you, Leah Chase. And it's um, and this was in November of 1991. That's right. Yeah. So. And you know I'm gonna be there on November 17th. Well, there you go. So, so you should go by and see it. And this was November 19th, I think. Well, the funniest thing is she promised me that if I learned to cook those recipes, my girlfriend would marry me, and did she it did. Work? She did. So. Yay! <laughs> that's really how I got started cooking, and that was her cookbook. And I learned to make roux, and I made, learned to make all of these different dishes, and then I expanded and. So ever since then, I've been really into cooking. So, so um, so it's a pretty I simple know, recipe. I want to know: Did you did she teach you anything in your kitchen? No, in no. her kitchen. Well, she showed me how to make the sauces, the roux, and everything else. She was making some when I was there, and I just watched her, and I was kind of amazed by it. And then, of course, I went back and tried it myself, and it didn't taste nearly as good. And I realized I was doing something wrong. And... So, was this the beginning of you kind of becoming a foodie? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is how it got started. Was this this cookbook and and this recipe in particular? So. All right, um, so, so it's a simple recipe. Mm -hmm. um, uh, anybody who's made bready pudding will re recognize it. I personally like to take a good two-day-old French baguette okay. and rip it apart. And do you did you leave it out? Yeah, yeah. Let it get good and a little bit on the stale Can side. Can I feel it? My hands yeah. are clean. I just washed them. So it's a bit that crispy. That is. That is crispy. really, um, I'm going to say that's stale. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. So two-day bread, old bread. Um, so we just rip it apart in, a sh in the little pieces. Okay. And then you want to moisten it uh, with a cup of water first, and then just kind of pour it over. And then two uh, cans of condensed milk. That's a nice light dessert. Yeah. And you're just putting it in the bread. Just pouring it all over the bread. Okay. And uh, and you stir a lot as you go, of course, but. I can see it's soaking up the uh, canned condensed milk. Yeah. Uh, like crazy. I mean, I don't even see much in the bottom of the bowl. It's just going right into the bread. And I find that that actually is a key. If, if um, you see it soaking up like that, um, uh -huh. it really retains that flavor from that condensed milk flavor, which is really nice. Yeah, really smart. Right. So um, then we just add some six beaten eggs. Okay. And I'm going to get a big spoon here and we'll stir that up. And so you're just stirring that in. Just stirring the eggs in. And, and keeping and making sure that all the bread's just getting nice and soaked up here. Yes, you are. This is um, going to be a nice low-calorie dessert. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. This is This is definitely health food, that's, no question. That's fantastic. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so of the foods that, um, I mean, I know that fat lights up the brain. I know all food probably lights up the brain in one way or another. But does someone have a predisposition to liking a certain kind of food because of how it... Uh, how it affects their brain, how it lights them up. So there's to speak. a genetic component to it for sure, and there's also an experiential component to it, which you grew up with, and mm -hmm. so those flavors you develop. And by the time you're sort of in your teenage years, you start to really settle a little bit on those flavors, and then develop them in your twenties. Um, and after that, it's it depends on how open you are to new ideas. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to say that my tastes have really expanded um, as I've gotten. I mean, once I Absolutely. hit forty. And, and past that, I yeah. got much more, um, I don't know, experimental in my food intake. And my tastes changed. And I figured that's because my brain changed. For example, um, I used to hate, and I mean hate, sweet potatoes mm. of any kind. Baked, 
uh, you know, coated in sugar, whatever. I just like, there's no way you could get me to eat them. Well, and you see, they probably, it was the ha what happened there was the first time you had sweet potatoes, you didn't like them or they were mm -hmm. prepared in a way. And then you was mm -hmm. kind of your brain just said, I don't like sweet potatoes. Uh -huh. well, I bet you didn't try them a whole lot of different ways after that, just because you kind of convinced yourself. Yeah, no, but then, I hated them. But then you suddenly have a dish that somebody makes that has sweet potatoes in them and like, oh, sweet potatoes aren't so bad after all. And then yeah. your brain's... That plasticity of your brain accepting that different foods can be okay. Yeah, and uh, now I love them. I exactly. can't get enough of them. Maybe not coated in sugar. I actually like them just out of the oven mm -hmm. uh, with a little butter butter and salt on yep. them because I like that salty sweet kind uh -oh. of thing that you get going on. So, yeah, for me, that's good. So, All right, so while we've been chit-chatting, um, you added, added something else I added in. some uh, grated apple. Okay. Uh, some crushed pineapple. It's going to go in there next. And uh, are you going to add it in with all the juice? Yep, all the juice and everything. And the pineapple, I find, is really kind of what makes this bread pudding a little bit different. It really adds a nice texture and a, ni a really nice little flavor. I would of... never, ever have thought of adding pineapple to bread pudding. Yep, so the pineapple and the apple together. There we go. We're just going to mix that in there. All right, so I've just got to add some sugar, of course, because... Uh, it's, because it's bread pudding. It's bread pudding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> So a cup and a half of sugar and just, you know, normal granulated sugar. Does sugar have a special, I don't know, symbiosis with how we process it when we think about it? Oh, sugar uh, turns on all those reward signals in our brains. And so uh, along with fat, I mean, fat and sugar is like, whew, you know, it lights us up. Mm -hmm. So we, that's why we like desserts so much. So this is going to be like the perfect brain food treats, yeah. right? This is going to make you really happy. Because we've got butter, we've got um, fat and the cream, yep. uh, and then condensed milk. Yep. And then, of course, sugar. Yep. Lots of breads. So there are lots of carbs there. Uh, no carbs at all. <laughs> Don't tell me that now. Some, some fruit. <laughs> so that's that. And then, um, let's see, we're going to add some vanilla now. Just five tablespoons of vanilla. I take it you've made this recipe a few times. Oh, several. Yeah. Was this the, was there one recipe that um, one, what's your wife's name? Diane. Yeah. Was there one recipe that won Diane over? Uh, you know, it might've been the shrimp Clemenceau, which is another what? one of her fam 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 famous dishes. It's, I don't know what Clemenceau is. It's, it's a saucy, it's a nice, you know, really saucy dish. <laughs> you, you run her over with a saucy dish? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my saucy wife and my saucy dish. That's All right. right. There you go. Actually, the way we, we, uh, we got engaged when we were living in uh, Europe together. Ah. I did my postdoctoral work in uh, in Germany. Oh. And we lived there for three and a half years together. And before I moved there, um, uh, I had gone hiking in the Alsace region where there's all that wonderful Riesling and some really amazing food as well. And uh, I came across this castle ruin and I, and I thought, you know, this would be the perfect place to propose to somebody. Three years later, I did. So Aww. got her got her good and drunk on Riesling first in case she said no. <laughs> Man, but you planned it, so That's it still right. counted, right? That's right. It was still a go on the marriage proposal. It, it all went well. Did so. you have the ring and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great, a great evening actually. And, and then, uh, speaking of food, I had reserved the only five-star restaurant in the Alsace region, and a hotel that goes with it. It was a guest house with a five-star restaurant. And so after we, she thankfully said yes. <laughs> There you go. We had an amazing French meal. There. You, you probably meal. saved for a year to do it. Yep. Uh, and then went for it. Exactly. Well, that's really that's good planning. So we and... just we just put in by the way um, lots of butter. Okay. And so now all we do is put it in the oven. We put in lots of melted butter. I noticed. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And uh, what are we putting in now? We're just gonna pour this into a baking dish. Did I miss the bourbon? That comes later. Oh. Yeah, that's the other food group. The other food. That's the sauce. So we make that. We can make that uh, after this is just about ready to come out of the oven. So you're kind of spreading it around the dish. Yep. Smoothing it out. And I can see there is actually a lot of liquid in it, but the bread is soaked up. Yep, almost all of it. Yeah. So let's put that in the oven, and then we can eat some of the dinner we made. So. So your oven's at 350. Yeah. And we're putting this in for how half an long? hour, about half an hour. All right. Great. Yeah. So. So that's that. Um, I thought we'd have, since it's kind of a warm day, we could have a New Orleans style meal. Uh, not too heavy. All right. <laughs> Do you want me to dish, dish you some up? Uh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah.
And I'm going to have a little red wine because I can drink red wine with anything. Oh, well, there you go. Um, I like white wines that complement meals sometimes. And I, my, one of my favorite things to do is to make a seven course meal with wine pairings. So what am I dishing up here? So these are um, just crab stuffed mushrooms. Okay. With, um, mm -hmm. uh, they've got a little bit of Parmesan in them. They got some little cayenne pepper in them. Um, and this is uh, uh, just a dish that I threw together. Um, you just threw based, together the crab stuffed mushrooms? Yeah, based on uh, other versions of crab stuffed mushrooms that I've done in the past. Yeah, so the mushrooms are pretty simple. That? These look great. And then this is a, a standard shrimp jambalaya from uh, the Dookie Chase cookbook. All right, well, let's dig in. So is there any trick um, to making the jambalaya? Mm. You want to really dice up those vegetables. Mm. And what's going in it? So it's got um, a little celery. It's got some green pepper, mm -hmm. um, some parsley, um, and of course the rice. Um, I use jasmine rice. I just I like jasmine rice. I like the texture of it. Other people use other types of uh, short green rices, but I like jasmine rice too. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the reason I do is that it seems when you cook it, it comes out. Um, I don't know, separated a little bit. More. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and. Um, I mean, sometimes I like it sticky, but just to get that flavor, I just add more water. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, this is delicious. You got a little bit of a kick in it. What'd you use for spices? Mm -hmm. mm. Well, there's kind of garlic. There's also garlic in there. And then, um, again, cayenne pepper, because it's, it's, you know, you have to have cayenne pepper. You have to have cayenne? <laughs> All right. That's, that's a rule for Cajun Creole for cooking. Okay, good to know. And then about how long does it take to uh, make the jambalaya? Um, prep time's about 15, 20 minutes, and then cook time's about 30 minutes. All right, and we have permission to post this recipe online for our, our listeners later. Yeah. Mm, all right, it's so good. Okay, the cornbread. Let's talk about that for a second. So this is a Paul Prudhoe recipe for cornbread. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically, you have, I make it with uh, corn flour, but you know, it's it's a nice sweet cornbread. The Southerners love to put a, make their, their cornbread sweet. Mm -hmm. It is sweet. I like it. Uh, it goes really well with the jambalaya. It kind of offsets the spiciness a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you put um, uh, do you put sugar in it? A little sugar, yeah. Mm. And then uh, so it's got the cornmeal and the corn flour, and then regular flour. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me you used two different flours. Yeah. So it was cornmeal, corn flour, and flour. Standard and flour, flour? normal flour. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm really surprised because it's. I mean, it, it holds together so much better than the cornbread I usually make. Really? Yeah. Um, this is why I like this recipe. This recipe, by the way, also makes a fantastic stuffing. Um, I made a turducken a couple years ago. And <laughs> one, of, one of the kind of the... You made a turducken? Yeah, from scratch. From was, scratch? Yeah. Did the ball. duck complain very much? Not too much. <laughs> All right. Well, you're in a hunting lodge, so there That's you right. go. That's right. Um, how did that, um, how'd that go over with your, um, you know, your audience? Um, it went over well, thankfully. We were think we were poised to buy a, a pizza just in case, you know. But <laughs> it took me almost three you days had it to make it. Really? Yeah, because I stupidly uh, forgot that I could ask my butcher to debone all three birds, right? So I did it myself. So I deboned the duck, the the hen, and the and the turkey. And you leave, the only bones you leave in are the the drumsticks on the turkey. Oh my gosh! And so, uh, and this is the Paul Prudhoe version. So, and then and you, have, you to... have to do that without destroying it. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to. I, had, I actually had a, a little hammer and I was tapping bones out and everything. So that was amazing. So that with the, the Paul Prudhoe's turducken, mm. you you have um, a shrimp stuffing that you layer on top of the duck, the the bone duck, and then you wrap that up. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, or on the hen, and then uh, you have a pork sausage stuffing then that you line the duck with, and then you put the 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 shrimp and the chicken in the middle of that, and you wrap that up, and then you take a turkey and you line that with this cornbread, and make a dressing out of the cornbread, and then you put the whole thing together, and then you serve it with a, a gravy that you make from uh, roasted eggplants and garlic and and cream and everything else. It's amazing. So and sweet, the, and sweet potatoes. If the uh, first of all, that sounds amazing. Sweet <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and turkey, which is my my favorite meal, pretty much my favorite thing to eat. I'm deeply impressed that you did that. <laughs> All right. So the cornbread's out of this world. And I'm moving on to the mushroom. And uh, this is crab stuffed. What kind of mushrooms did you use? Um, these are just um, white cat mushrooms, I think. Uh, whatever I grabbed from the store. Mm. They were really good. Mm. Mm. Is that a cream cheese? Mixed a little bit middle? of cream cheese. Um, the crab, it's got um, green onion, parsley, some Parmesan, 
little cayenne, um, and then the seasoning is uh, some garlic uh, salt. Mm -hmm. um, I don't taste any heat, but the flavors together are really, I would describe it as almost bright. Yeah. You know, like a light note to it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. So I just kind of threw it together. It was, I'm glad it came out okay. Mm, <laughs> fantastic. And then um, did you bake them? Mm -hmm. Baked them at 375 for about 20 minutes. And is that just to soften the mushroom a little bit? Melt the cheese, get oh, everything yeah. to soak in and let the mushrooms, you know, get some of the water out of the mushrooms. And you can see they're a little dimpled there from, from cooking. Well, that's I exactly... can now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that you pointed it out. But... Yeah. So, mm. yeah. So it's a, a nice, I thought it would be a nice contrast to the, the different flavors. Mm-hmm. So. so this is um, Larry Sherman's. Cajun inspired meal. Yes. <laughs> oh, so very good. Did you know as a kid that you wanted to be a scientist or? So my parents convinced me that I wanted to be a physician. Um, Were they physicians? No, no. My dad was an, uh, a computer engineer and uh, they had one son who was a lawyer and I think they wanted to have another one who was a doctor. That's kind of their dream. And so... And, Nothing uh, like, uh, you know, influencing your, your children. You are going to be, you want, you really want to be this. It kind of was that way. Did uh, they get I, I was doctor kit to play with? Oh yeah, absolutely. And... But I was always into science, my, 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 even when I was a little kid. So my, when I growing up, I was into, uh, you know, hanging up the beach because I grew up in La Jolla. Um, I was into, I was in a rock band mm -hmm. and uh, called Starjammer. You were, really? <laughs> yes. Called, what was it called? Starjammer. Star Jammer, like Star Man, only Star yeah. Jammer. We had we had t-shirts made and everything. Really? Um, yeah. Were you guys any good? We were okay. And actually, a lot of those people in that band went on to you know, produce records. They're still in the music okay. scene in San Diego, which is kind of cool. I was their keyboardist, of course. I had a Polymoog polyphonic synthesizer that I used to haul around, which was incredibly heavy. So you, <laughs> you also, that was your weightlifting program? Absolutely. At the time? Absolutely. You got Yeah, because those, uh, if I remember correctly, those were pretty big. They were When huge. they first came out. And heavy. Yeah, I, they were awesome. The, the, the sound I could get out of those things was amazing. So we used to do gigs all over town. That was really fun. I had a little DX7 because I also play piano. Um, uh, I played all the way through college. Um, and then um, I stopped, essentially. Um, and I only play now um, when I'm sight reading something just to for the fun of it, yeah. sit down and read, um, or when I'm writing. Mm. So yeah, that's the pretty much the only time I play. There are so many people in Portland that are so much better at it than I am. Yeah. I would rather write the music and work with them on producing it or performing it yeah. than do it myself. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. I'm going through my second piece of cornbread. Absolutely. <laughs> so you had a band. So we had a band, yeah. And so um, that's how I got into music was I always played piano and I play by ear. Um, I used to really upset my piano teacher because she would give me an assignment and I'd find a recording of it and then I'd listen to it and then I'd play it and then I'd come back. And she so actually, you had a gift? Uh, well, a gift and a curse because... <laughs> so she entered me into, into a contest one time, I remember, and I was supposed to play the Rhapsody in Bloom. I played that. And uh, the way I heard it, I forgot who it was. It might have, I can't remember. So one of the pianists that I heard who played it um, had this little trill that, that was his signature way of playing the Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, that's not how it's written. Mm -hmm. And when you go to these contests, you get dem demarcated for anything you miss on the That's on not the written. Music. So, of course, I was automatically failed. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry to hear that. And she's like, listen, I think I've taught you all I can teach you. And that was unless, it? Unless you got booted you, um, from um, your piano teacher? Unless, unless you're going to learn theory, <laughs> unless you're going to really get serious and learn theory, there's not much more I can teach you. I, I would suggest you go find someone who's into jazz or something else and learn from them. Smart so, advice, it was actually. smart advice, yeah. See, I had the opposite when I grew up. Um, you know, I took lessons from many teachers. My mom was my first teacher. She was a music teacher. And then I think I studied at Merrill House College with one of the nuns for many, oh, many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I learned scales very well. But I also, I was very attached to the notes on the page. But when I sing, um, that's an entirely different thing. Mm -hmm. I I don't have an exact way of doing that. Um, I can listen to a recording, and that's how I learned some of my first um, scats and things like that. I would listen, play it back, sing it. So this is perfect. You're a singer. We can demonstrate some of these <laughs> concepts that, about that exact point. Because that's All one right. of the things I talked about in my Music in the Brain talk. Okay, tell me more about that. So that 
that's something that evolved. So, you know, I, I played music until I came here, basically. So I, I um, was in my band in high school. I was in a band uh, in college. We used to go over to Rimsky Corsa Coffee House and play for tips. Really? Yeah. Which was and really was fun. this a different band? Yeah, just a group of college friends. You know, we'd make a hundred bucks a night and then go to McDonald's and get dinner and then go home and study back to read. <laughs> college. Um, and then after college, I was in a, a group briefly here in Portland. Um, and then when I moved to Germany, um, I met a guy who was from England, who was a bass player, a guy from the Netherlands, who was a sax player, mm -hmm. and then a guy from Austria, mm -hmm. who was a guitar player, not a German in the group. And so we called ourselves the Auslander, the, the, the foreigners. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used to play at parties and everything else. And when you so, lived in Germany. Yeah. But then when I started getting serious and starting my own laboratory, I didn't really have time for it anymore because it was just my son was born uh, and I was starting my lab and moving to Cincinnati, Ohio, which was really been weirder than moving to Germany in some ways. Yeah. And uh, but I loved it. I, I mean, I, it was a great place to start. Uh, so college. you started a lab. What kind of um, things did you do? Was it mostly it was biomedical um, research, research into neuro neurological diseases? And okay. so which is what we still do in my lab, like so, Alzheimer's. And so my lab now is focused on mul multiple sclerosis is the main focus. Uh -huh. But we also do work on Alzheimer's disease and um, and also perinatal brain injuries. So premature babies who have brain injury because they're born so premature that they you know, they have all sorts of damage that happen as a result of that. So they have a lack of, of development? Yeah. And, or a brain injury? Brain injury, usually from lack of oxygen. Um, oh, um, when they're being born. Right. Mm. So we're trying to develop ways to, you know, repair the damaged brain, basically. That's my, that's my day job. That's your day job? Yeah. But then my, my other job is um, the president of the Society for Neuroscience for the state oh. of Oregon and for Southwest Washington. Uh-huh. And... Um, um, one of the things I like to do is give public talks to get people excited about neuroscience. And this particular talk on music and the brain started because I was at a departmental function playing piano, jokingly for tips. And uh, somebody <laughs> came up to me and said, I didn't know you played piano. I said, yeah. And he said, it's, and uh, this was a, you may, you may have known her, Bobby Haggerty. Nope. Bobby Haggerty was sort of in charge of all the outreach for neuroscience for Oregon Health Sciences University where I was. Uh -huh. And and she says, hey, would you mind uh, doing like a little music in the brain talk for this group that I have? They're, it's called BrainNet, uh, who meet you know, regularly at the Mac Club. And, uh, and I said, that sounds like fun. So I went out and I got every paper I could get my hands on and realized that about 60% of the studies were awful. I mean, like, you know, that's bad science. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but then, the, then I realized there's all these other studies that actually were related to the things I do in my lab like myelin, the formation of the, the material that wraps around nerve fibers that allows you to have fast conduction velocities of, uh, uh, of the nerve impulses. Hmm. And so, uh, so I put this talk together, I put some humor into it, and put some musical performance into it too. And so, so after this music so, in the brain, that so, was like the whole beginning. Well, so, so uh, in the audience was the director of the Portland Youth Philharmonic, uh, Valerie Day, Yes, of, I know Valerie. Bad new shoes, and she had this idea for doing a show called Brain Chemistry for Lovers, and which was going to be this cabaret with all the songs about the different stages of love uh -huh. and the neuroscience about it. And she asked me if I wanted to, you know, help her out with that. And, and you're like, um, yes, said, that sounds like fun, yeah. <laughs> and then all those all those other people came up to me and started asking, um, you know, how much do you charge to give this talk? And I said, charge, and <laughs> and I've now given it in seven countries. Um, Have you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I gave it uh, the most recently in Australia in uh, at the uh, uh, Royal Society of Victoria. I had no idea that there was such uh, there would be such an interest around those two topics together, music and the brain. People just love hearing about it, and it, it, it's it's really interesting. So we, you know, I I keep on updating it. I add to it, um, and then the most recent version of it actually. Uh, came about because I gave a version of it down at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, uh -huh. and it sold out, which is you know, it's Yay. a big theater. And I hope you're charging for it now. But oh yes, yes, okay, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, they asked me if I would do it again, and I said sure. And right after they asked me that, um, uh, uh, Krista Wessel from uh, All Classical uh -huh. called me and said, "Hey, there's this singer-songwriter in town who's also a classically trained pianist named Naomi LaViolette." 
-huh. And she's been working with a local composer to try to save his music. He has Alzheimer's disease. Right. And uh, I said, that sounds fascinating. And she Stephen. Says, yeah, Stephen Goodwin. And, uh, and uh, would you mind doing our little Thursdays at, at four program, or Thursdays at three, I guess, um, and uh, with her uh -huh. and talking about Alzheimer's and your work and your music and the brain information. And she could talk about what she's doing with Stephen. And, and I said, that sounds fascinating. And we met, I met Naomi and we hit it off right away. Right. And after the whole thing was over, I said to Naomi, I said, hey, listen, I'm going back to the Aladdin to do my talk again, but maybe we should do it together and I'll do it at, at music and the aging brain. And we'll talk about how music can affect aging and, and health of the brain and everything else. And she said, that sounds like fun. I've never played the Aladdin. Yeah. I said, so let's do it. And we did. So now I think we've done it four times together. And oh, I love that. Well, she's played most everywhere. So, and she's fantastic. No, as she's you already know. Yeah, so. I love her. So tell me, um, how does music, um, I know that there are um, studies, probably yours now that I'm finding this out, um, about how music can reach Alzheimer's patients to a certain extent, you know, yeah. bring them out a little bit more or help. I don't know, um, steady their, their thought patterns for a small while. Um, so, so just to clarify, I don't do any actual research on this subject. Uh, so my, my lab is really focused on all the biology and the cell biology and molecular biology behind what's happening in Alzheimer's and other, other diseases like multiple sclerosis. Uh -huh. But, um, but I, I keep on top of this for these public talks. And, um, and one of the things that's really clear is that um, when there's brain injury, um, one of the things that you can use is music therapy to help overcome it and promote this plasticity in our brains to help our brains kind of rewire themselves after this injury happens. Uh -huh. And in Alzheimer's patients, what's remarkable is there may be some help in that regard, but what's cool is brain music really is, is all over the brain, right? And so when you play music for someone who has Alzheimer's, it wakes them up. It really wakes up the brain. And you mean them, all your whole brain lights up yeah, when you exactly. hear music? Yeah, exactly. So you may have an Alzheimer's patient who can't initiate speech, but they can still sing mm. when you play the music from their past. Right? That is fascinating. And then sometimes when you do that enough, they come back and they actually can speak for a moment. Really? Or two. So it kind of it really wakes these these synapses up in big and important ways. That's amazing. It's like. You know, patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. I don't know. Maybe, you know, <laughs> distracting something that, and, you know, another part of you is able to Well, it's, it's just rescuing. It's just rescuing parts of the brain, which mm. I think is amazing. Mm. Um, so the question is, could you use music then for people before they get that far along to sort of give them more reserve once, once the brain really starts to go downhill? And there's a woman I met in Europe, um, and she's a, her, um, she was a concert pianist in the Soviet Union, in the last days of the Soviet Union. Oh, wow, um, I bet she's got some stories. Well, she does, and one of them was that she was invited, to, she and her husband, who's also a musician, uh, were invited to Belgium uh -huh. to give a concert. Right. And they petitioned the Russian Soviet government to let them take their children with them because they didn't want to leave them alone quote-unquote, that was the story. Yeah. And as soon as they got to Belgium, they defected. So that involves like an application and will you please uh, protect us from our These are, government? They're immigrants, right? Yeah. There's, there's people trying to get away from you know, a bad situation. Persecution. Persecution and everything else. And uh, one year after she moved to Belgium, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And her physician told her, you will never play the piano again. Ugh. And she became depressed and her husband left her with the two children and MS. And uh, after a while, she uh, struggled just to keep things going and to feed her kids. And she finally, one day, just started playing the piano again. Just out of, because she was so sad. So the doctor said, you'll never play the piano again. And she stopped. She stopped because she realized at that moment, at least she thought, that she would never be as good as she needed to be to be this concert pianist that she dreamed to be her whole life. And right. her lineage went all the way back to Tchaikovsky, right? Oh, my gosh. So, so but... Then she figured out that if she kept playing and played harder, she could kind of keep some of her MS symptoms at bay. And then she, wow. she realized that if she kept practicing and practicing and practicing, that things got better, right? And so, so she's giving concerts again. She is Mostly as benefits now? for the MS Society in Europe, but she's, she's still doing it. And she just wrote a book. That is an amazing. I helped, I helped edit her book. So. What do you know? What her name? I'd have to look it up. I it's it's. You her, know what? Her first name is Olga, and that's what I always call her. But 
Her last name is uh, very difficult to pronounce. And okay, I'm so we'll post that. If you um, send that to me, we'll post that for sure. our listeners so that they can read her book sure. and find that out. That's, a, yeah. that's an amazing story. I love that. So tell me, um, how does, does food um, bring back some of those same senses that music does? You know, no one's really looked at that carefully. Um, there's definitely a decline in the appreciation for food mm-hmm. as dementia sets in. Um, and that's probably because you just can't appreciate it, you can't enjoy it the way you normally would. Right. Um, um, so I don't. So I think that the, it's actually the opposite. I think the problem with dementia is you lose the enjoyment. You don't enjoy it the way you used to. Ugh. It may bring back some memories. That would uh, really suck. Yeah. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I, I mean, am a food fan, and I, clearly I'm a musician. I love I love talking with people about music. I love listening to music, all kinds of music, and. To me, that loss would be would be terrible. That would be just devastating. And do you enjoy a good red wine? I enjoy a lot of good red wine. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> so do I. So, so do I. So you had mentioned earlier something um, about how um, playing the instruments versus singing um, and, and sort of the challenges learning the scales when you're at the piano and everything else versus singing. And one of the things that I love to do when I um, um, give my music a brain talk is point out the fact that um, well, first of all, our brains immediately understand patterns of notes. Uh-huh. We learn it very early on. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, if you want, we could go to the piano and I could show you. Some yeah, things. well, so let's go that. continue our conversation. Okay. The Marty's Music Kitchen podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Oregon Music News. Ooh, I love your piano. It's about 55 years old. It was uh, a Kimball. It's a Kimball and it was made back in the days when Bosendorfer made, owned a Kimball. Really? And so it's a Kimball body, but it's Bosendorfer guts. Ah, uh, kind of nice. you have a golden yeah, it's pretty piano. Nice. It's pretty nice. This is the piano I learned to play on as a kid. Hmm. So, um, you know, obvious things about music. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is um, in any culture, you'll have a different scale maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, very simple tonal patterns uh, have emotional content to them. Really? So just think about a C chord open C chord. It's kind of, we think of it as this kind of bright, upbeat, happy. happy, right? Yes. That's just three notes, right? That's yep. all it is. Now change that E to an E flat. Yes. Right. Minor key. Minor key. Emotion, sadness. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? This is uh, something that you can really alter an entire phrase of music with, mm-hmm. right? So I always like to use, this is my favorite example just because it has such an impact on, on, the, on the phrase, but um, second movement, Beethoven seventh. Uh-huh. So it's in the minor key usually. serious right yeah now let's just change that opening chord to the major but leave everything else the same okay different right that so, is completely different and just you're just changing one chord ah. and it changes the entire feel of the rest of the phrase beethoven's probably turning over in his grave right now but yes he probably <laughs> is all those jokes about beethoven in his grave this that's is right. one of them this is one of them absolutely right so so that's one thing i love to share with people is just the fact that you can just do very simple things and our brain automatically processes it and puts all this emotional content onto it yeah and that's we don't, that's nothing we train for. It's just something our brain does. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is, of course, even a little bit of musical experience, you know what sequences of music should sound like. You have this whole set of expectations for it. So you're a singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, sing the next note in this pattern, right? Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> How about a little blues? Dun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we just do that automatically. Our brains mm-hmm. just do it. But you mentioned something earlier about um, scales and everything else. So 
you know, when you learn a, an instrument, you have to learn those scales to get mm -hmm. the motor memory of how to transpose to a different key. Yes. It's really hard otherwise. Oh, well, but, it's really hard anyway for me, but, but yes. <laughs> but, but vocally, we can do it without even thinking about it. Yes. So I could ask you to sing a song you haven't sung in 20 years, mm -hmm. and acapella, you'll sing it in the key you learned it in. Probably, yes. And then if I hit any note on this keyboard within your vocal range, you could transpose it to that new key without even thinking about it. Yes, this is true. Now, my favorite example of that, what I do with, it, with my audiences is, I pick a song that most people have heard, and it's usually Hey Jude. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. right? So you know the end of Hey Jude it has that repetitive section uh, with those very complicated lyrics. Na, na, na. Na, oh, na, na, yes, na. yes, right. That na, part. Na, 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 na. Uh -huh, hey Jude, yes. right? So do you, do you sing that one? Do you know that sure. song? So um, right. uh, let's start it in F. Okay. And then let's just play it through like twice, and then um, I'll hit a G, and I want you to just keep singing. Okay, so go, just transpose yeah, it up. Yeah, just transpose it up. Okay. So let's, let's do like twice through an, an So, F. go ahead. Ready? Give me a key. Uh, can I do this one? Okay, here yeah. we go. Here we go. But yeah. the thing is, it's way too low for me to say. Oh, is it too low for you? Oh, I'm sorry. But you get it, right? I mean, we can all do that. I mean, yeah. That's, and that's the amazing, amazing thing that our brains just automatically can transpose these things mm. into whole different keys. Da, 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 da. Here you go. You got it. You hit it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is something that I think, I don't know what it was the easier route to be able to sing, but it was something that I intuitively knew as a child. Yeah. And then, you know, grew up you know, I don't know, adjusting to it. Yeah. And I've got what's called relative pitch. Oh, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So perfect pitch for people who don't know means that they can tell um, it's a curse. Trust me, it's not a blessing. They can say, oh, well, you sing an, an F and they'll sing an F and then you'll sing an F and what they hear is an F that's slightly imperfect. Right. And uh, I, I, God bless them. The people that are in choirs that have perfect pitch um, must constantly be just like fingers on a chalkboard yeah. because even if you're in a really good choir, there's always going to be phrase endings and things like that and certain keys that always hang low and, you know, that they're not going to be able to be in perfect pitch. Absolutely. And the perfect pitch person actually feels that right. like internally as something that's uncomfortable. Absolutely. But relative pitch, which is what I have, is means that um, if I learn... You know, I can sing something to you and know that it's, um, I can tell where it is in my throat. Right. I know where it is in my head and I can say, well, that's probably a middle C and I'm probably not very far off uh, or a D or an F or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's so great. relative pitch yeah. is if you're going to have one, have relative pitch. It's a lot easier to live with. That's for yeah. sure. And I think that, uh, that also, I think that uh, for me anyway, relative pitch has developed, uh, you hone that in over time. I mean, I think once you've sung things, so many times and those keys are in your head that you're like bing oh yeah i learned that in blank and it's just there yeah in that key but we don't even think about it right right you could just ask, ask someone to sing and if it's still in their vocal range they're going to sing it the way they learned it yeah it's amazing yeah. right so yeah so anyway brain, there's, there's a lot of the things we talk about we talk about how just the other thing i really like to talk about with people is just the fact that learning an instrument has these amazing effects physical effects on the brain like generating new cells, mm -hmm. generating um, more connections between cells, mm -hmm. uh, and then generating more of this mild substance I mentioned earlier, this stuff that makes neurons fire faster. Really? Right, so you can actually have connections between different areas of the brain that have to be very high-speed connections. So what's the, what's the chemical that makes them fire faster? It's a substance called myelin. It's myelin? A, it's, a, it's a sheath that wraps around the nerve cell, and it makes it go fire faster. And it's what's destroyed, by the way, in people with multiple sclerosis. Oh. By their own immune systems. So can you regrow that? I mean, yeah. clearly, oh, yeah. if you're learning a new skill, then that sheath grows around. That's what these studies have shown is that people who, kids in particular, who like take music lessons for a certain amount of time every week or so, actually generate more myelin than kids who aren't doing similar types of activities. Huh. And so, and it may be true in adults too, which is really remarkable. So I wonder what I can do. You know, I don't play much piano anymore but i do enjoy sitting down like buying a new book and then sitting down and sight reading it 
Is that new enough um, without learning how to replay the piano? Is sight reading something that... So long as you're challenging yourself in some way. It's got to be a little bit outside your comfort zone, I think. That's outside my comfort zone. Yeah, so well, that, depending on how hard the music is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. Well, the other interesting thing is, um, you know, if you look at, at MRIs, these magnetic resonance imaging things, to brain scans uh -huh. uh, of people, they did a study where they just asked people to learn how to play a scale, you know, like... which if you've never done that before, laying down flat in an MRI machine with a plastic keyboard down kind of at your lap and doing that would be really hard. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but, but it is a simple you know, set of notes. And what they found was that that drove tremendous amounts of activity that would lead to brain, you know, all these things that change the brain. Huh. And then what they did was they took people who had a little bit of musical skill and asked them to play something that would be difficult for them. You know, something like a little piece of, something Bach-like, you know, like, that but that would be really hard for them to learn right but so much more difficult as a piece of music uh -huh. and yet the amount of activity was the same as the people just learning the scale that's fascinating so it's really how hard it is to you so if not if it's not hard to you it's not going to give you the benefit but if it's hard and you're actually pushing yourself to do something new that's yeah. when it becomes beneficial so i learned all the bach um you know the two-part inventions and all those things when i was growing up oh yeah um i just want to ask did you learn that by ear uh i just made that up that was just <laughs> <laughs> you really it's, just that's, made that that's up? just bach like <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm duly impressed with your piano skills <laughs> that's super fun we should check on the breakfast all right well let's yeah, go back it's time for some dessert all right so we're back in the kitchen oh wow this looks beautiful it's got that little kind of a golden brown um uh kind of a topping yeah i don't know not topping it's got a golden brown crust a little bit on it, yeah. it i can smell the pineapple wonderful doesn't the pineapple smell good mm -hmm. I, I would that. never ever ever have thought of putting that in there. yeah she's a, i'm telling you she was a brilliant brilliant person when it came to uh, coming up with these wonderful recipes but now comes the bourbon so this is the bourbon cream sauce Oh yeah, this is no. another no calorie dessert, right? This is uh, this is the the no calorie part of the no calorie dessert. Great. So. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how hard, uh, how many days a week I'm gonna need to work out this week just to work off this one meal. <laughs> so we're just gonna get some butter in there and some flour. Um, I recently did an interview uh, with someone from the south, and he said in the south they measure butter by the stick. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. So we're using a half of stick of butter. About a third, actually. Yeah, about a third right. of a stick of butter. And uh, we're just going to put it on medium-low heat and uh, throw a little flour in there. Flour, huh? Yeah. Just Can you burn alcohol when you cook it? Uh, it's going to burn off all the ethanol. So. Are you going to light it on fire? No. No, not this time. I'm afraid there's... I'll have you back and I'll make Cherry's Jubilee for you sometime. That, oh, would you really? Oh, that'd be great. Um, I was just thinking that could be a whole new twist on the bread pudding. Uh, bread pudding on fire, you know. There's a lot of tapas dishes thing. I like to make that poof, go poof, you know. Really? You put a little uh, bourbon Did it take you some in. skill to be able to learn how to do that? or Just making sure you don't lean in and burn your eyebrows. That's this the would most be important. me. <laughs> this would be me. Yeah. And uh, I love to cook. Um, we've done a, a lot of cooking um, at home recently. And uh, like our experiment today, uh, earlier today, we had halibut Oscar. Oh, that sounds amazing. With a homemade hollandaise sauce. It came out really, really well. So yeah, that's, that's what we like to do on weekends is for some downtime, um, just to eat a really, um, you know, a, a challenging meal. Yeah. Oh, hey, well, so if I'm learning something that's challenging to me in the kitchen and I'm cooking, is that going to um, give me more? Um, if it's something you've never done before, in my it'll, brain? it'll certainly drive some of that plasticity, especially if you keep doing plasticity. It and it. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It's going to definitely help. Okay, and I, I want to clarify this. You said it was mylar. Myelin. Myelin, yeah. and what does it coat? It coats the the actual uh, the nerve fibers. Nerve fibers. Right. 
So it's, it's, it. it's like insulation. I need more of that. I wanna, it's like insulation on a wire. Um, yeah, I want to like, I want things to fire more quickly. <laughs> um, is there any um, reason? I, I'm sometimes when I'm tired, I don't think as quickly. Yeah. I would assume that's because that's, most people have that problem. I'm not firing as quickly. Would an additional, um, would learning something now, uh, new and the additional um, plasticity in my brain help overcome fatigue and not being able to think? Fatigue and, and everything else, it's really, it turns out sleep is so important and that's the only way you're really going to get over that. Um, uh, turns out we actually clear out junk from our brains when we sleep. Really? It, there's a process. There's, it's, it's, um, in our bodies, we have this thing called the lymphatic system. Right. Which clears out junk from around all around our body. But someone recently, actually at OHSU, recently discovered that we have that glymphatic system. It's called, it's cells called glial cells in the brain that interact with our, our, ves our blood vessels and everything else. And it actually helps purge junk. And when you have sleep problems, actually some of this junk accumulates. And there's some thinking that that might contribute to the onset of dementia and other things. Because you're when you because don't you're sleep, getting you're getting, sleep. not getting sleep, and it's not purging all that junk out of your brain. So I've heard that when you sleep, um, your brain um, actually has like a a liquid that comes over it when you sleep, and that that helps wash the the junk out of your brain. That helps you kind of reset. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's not actually a liquid that comes over your brain. It's a liquid that's already in your brain, and oh. it's just it's you're just moving it through and getting it through the uh, the space. Then it's going to bulk in bulk. All that junk's going to go with it, which is the movement of the fluid from one place to the other. So, mm. and what kind of junk are we getting out of our brains? Um, well, things like amyloid plaque, for example, which is part of what is the problem in Alzheimer's, uh, but also in other dementias as well. Uh huh. Um, and uh, other m molecules that just accumulate over time that we just don't want in there. So, yeah. What an amazing body we have yeah it is I mean, that we're all have all these interdependent systems you know what i mean well and you know we're living longer now than we ever have right and uh we're starting to understand that normal even normal aging has a cost yeah and if we're going to live better as we get older we need to figure out how to reverse some of those processes so all right, so we've got the butter melting um you've put sugar in it yep and some cream and vanilla. And a little vanilla. And I'm just going to add a, a hint of nutmeg. And this isn't any kind of cream. This is heavy whipping cream. This is heavy whipping cream we're putting in Again, here. Again, low calorie. Yep. Ooh, a little dab of nutmeg. Yep, which I love. It adds a nice flavor to it. I have a really good recipe for hot buttered rum. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, if you ever want it, what we do is we always, we have a, a nutmeg grater that's probably about 100 years old. Oh, really? That's yeah. amazing. And we use that and scrape off, scrape the nutmeg into the, on top of the hot buttered rum every Christmas. That's what we I'll do. I'll bet it tastes so. fantastic. It is. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It is. All right. What did you just put in there? Put in a little more than an ounce of, um, this is actually a bourbon that's quite nice. It's a, it's a, a American Prairie bourbon, High West whiskey. That looks good. And it's, it's quite nice. Um, and I, th I find it actually really is a good flavor for this sauce. I used to just use Jim Beam, but this is better. Uh, <laughs> better yeah, flavor. I'm going to say this is better. You can distill them in so many hundreds and hundreds of different ways. Oh, yeah. Adding sugar and, you know, aging it and the different kinds of things that it's in. It just It's a huge um, market that people just don't think about cooking, but you're really cooking alcohol. Oh, yeah. You're cooking different recipes. And those flavors are so different from one bottle to the next. Yeah. I was just in Ireland and uh, outside of Dublin uh, in the town of Slane and there's an old castle there and they turned the stables into a distillery. Tipping. And it's the, actually the most, or, it's the most green distillery on the planet. Um, ah. They recycle everything. They actually use heat from the distillery to heat the castle now. Um, it's amazing. Really? And, I, uh, I want to go there. Do you know the name of the... the Slane, the Slane Distillery. Slane. Yeah. And, they've, uh, and, the, and the, the bourbon and the whiskey um, and the... Uh, Whiskey, the Irish whiskey is amazing. And of course you sampled it. Oh yeah, it's, it's really good. And you brought home a case. I didn't do that. I'm, I'm going to try to order one. But, oh, uh, but, yeah. it's, but uh, they showed us how they make it from, from begin, right from the, all the malt and everything else all the way to the last stage of, of sifting. It was amazing. So. so as we've been talking, this is bubbled up. Yep. I've um, seen cookie recipes that do this when it gets that kind of a foam look to it as it's boiling. Right. 
Um, so it's just coming together. Yeah, so you want to do that to get it to get that kind of foamy look, just get it to just uh, simmer a bit, and then that's going to cook off some of that ethanol, of course, from from the bourbon, but relieve leave that bourbon taste behind. Um, and then we're going to serve it. So. And does this sauce go over all just, of it? I I usually just uh, pour take a piece out and put a little bit on top, and everybody likes a little more or less. So. Are you ready for some? I am ready let's, to go. Let's get some out of there then. Can you tell by my rubbing my hands together and the drooling as I'm, you know, trying not to wreck it for the rest of us? So it came out kind of like, like a little gooey. Like a cake. Yeah, like a little cakey little. So it's still got some of the liquid in it. Yep. Uh, the bread pudding. Yeah. You can leave it in longer and it'll dry out a little more. Okay. I like it a little moist personally, right. but. Okay. Wow. This is the best bread pudding I've ever had. Isn't it amazing? Such it a great really recipe. It is really amazing. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine me back in New Orleans, the first time I've ever had bread pudding and this is it. So I've been spoiled now for bread pudding because I go to other places and it's just like, ah, it's not, the, not as good. The sauce, I'm going to say, is perfection. Really? A, it really does, does. It really finishes it perfectly. Mm. So what's happening in my brain right now when I'm eating this? Your brain's going, ha ha, sugar, fat. <laughs> how how awesome is that? <laughs> give me more. <laughs> no. My middle's like, don't give me any more. My brain's like, give me more. <laughs> so uh, tell me um, just briefly about this um, project that you've got going on with the Portland Chamber Orchestra. So several years ago, Valerie Day, I told I mentioned the Brain Chemistry for Lovers, we did that show with the Portland Chamber Orchestra and with Daryl Grant. And uh, his uh, and he had, we had a combo, a jazz combo on stage with us. Daryl's birthday was just a few days ago. That's right, yeah. And um, and Daryl was fantastic. I really loved working with him. Um, so Daryl and Valerie got up on stage and talked, had a little dialogue going. And, uh, and then they would sing music about the different stages of love, classic love songs and everything else, which is great. And then I was kind of the science slash comedy relief. <laughs> so they actually filmed me in a lab coat with all kinds of sciencey things behind me, talking about what was happening in your brain in these different stages of love. So you were Bill Nye the science guy, only kind you of, were Larry Sherman the brain guy? Yeah, I kind of like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. And we put it on at the Newmark and lots of people came. It was a blast. And uh, the, the orchestra was there and everything else. And it was several years ago. And we, we kind of did mini versions of it around town. And then I actually took it and converted it into a, a, just a non-music lecture, but also about not just love, but also about the neuroscience of pleasure. And I uh, did that for uh, uh, Science on Tap, which is one of the local venues where you go to a pub and you can drink beer and listen to scientists talk about it. Is there a place like this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All over town. It's... Do you have to have beer to get through the science? Or, I mean, it just it makes it more enjoyable. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so I did that, and that's evolved into a whole new talk now. And it's quite different than what we did with Valerie and, and, and uh, Daryl. And, and this is a brain about the brain and it's it the title of the talk that i give is and we'll probably stick with it is um uh, sex uh pleasure and prairie bowls see that definitely needs beer <laughs> <laughs> the neuroscience of pleasure and love but now it's gonna be love love oh chocolate love chocolate and prairie bowls oh, yeah talk about chocolate for me makes everything better and everything else and uh and you know it's gonna have It'll be a lot of fun, and we're going to put some different types of music with it, with the Portland Chamber Orchestra, some some classical, some modern, and maybe some of Naomi's music as well. Oh, that's which I think that's would neat. Be really fun. So they can find out about this at PortlandChamberOrchestra.org. Uh, yeah, PortlandChamberOrchestra.org. Yeah. Right. And we're going to put that online for um, people to be able to access. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm still trying to shove this bread pudding in my mouth because <laughs> my brain says, go, eat it, eat it, eat it. And that'll be uh, probably about a year from now, probably next May, which we're, what we're aiming for. So stay tuned. Get on their exactly. mailing list. Exactly. Go see a few shows before then. Yep. And uh, go see Naomi LaViolette. Absolutely. And go see Valerie Day. Um, she does a lot of shows in the area. They're you know touring all the time, all around the world. Yeah. With new shoes again, which is amazing. That's great. And then people can also see Daryl Grant, um, and he's done some amazing work. He's got um, some, a new show, a new whole new pro uh, program out right now. He does, yes. and he's um, I can't remember. I wish I wish I could say it intelligently on the air, but um, he's got a, I think it's a new orchestra uh, composition. That's pretty amazing, yeah. and um, I my respect for him um, is 
deep. No, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. Great yeah. guy. Fantastic, talented guy. I, I, yeah. I love him. So It's kind of like you. I think you're a fantastic. I wish I had one one hundredth of his talent because he's <laughs> because he's so so good, yeah. and it's a gift for our city. I think so. Well, this has been delightful. I am pleasantly full. I'm gonna sleep very well with all the sugar <laughs> and uh, butter fat in my brain. Good. And uh, that means I'm going to live longer, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the secret to you. Everything in moderation, right? <laughs> in moderation. So, well, again, Larry, thank you so much for being on the show. And this has been really fun. Oh, great. It's been fun having you here. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I'm your host, jazz singer Marty Mendenhall, sending out a special thank you to Nora Tim and Peter Gunn for their support of this show through patreon.com. Become a patron of this podcast and get your special thank you on the air. Find out about the $1 and $5 perks by joining the fun at patreon.com forward slash Marty Mendenhall. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Marty's Music Kitchen.